0: Well, I hope that maybe this summer you had some time to get away, maybe go on a vacation or take a trip with some family or some friends and make some great memories. Maybe you had the chance to go on a cruise, even if it was just a cruise of Clarks Hill. Maybe you got to do that or go hiking or maybe go camping or visit the beach, take the family to a theme park. Maybe you got to do something like that this summer. I hope that you did. But have you ever wondered, did you take a vacation... Or did you take a trip? What's the difference? There's a difference between a vacation and a trip. Now, one of my favorite ways of spending time when I have time off is on an epic road trip. I mean, that's my favorite thing. A few years ago, my family and I went to the Grand Canyon and back. And we drove. It took 14 days to get there and back again. And I'll tell you, it was an epic adventure. It was a great trip, but it was no vacation. It was not restful. It was hard work. It was exhausting and by the time we got back we needed a vacation from our trip. You know, that's that's how that sometimes goes. And it's like taking your kids to Disney World. Anybody's ever done that? That is no vacation. In fact, if you're a parent taking your kids anywhere, is no vacation, right? I mean, it's you're just parenting in a different location. And sometimes it's harder than if you just stayed at home. But sometimes, you know, sometimes we need a vacation, right? Sometimes we just need to get away. We need to rest. We need to kind of maybe maybe be catered to for a change. And so maybe for you that's a week at the beach or a mountain cabin or some kind of an all-inclusive resort or a cruise. Vacations are good. We need those sometimes. But vacations are usually focused on the destination. It's where you're going. There's not a lot of thought, not a lot of importance put on how you get there or what you experience on the way. It's what you do while you're there that matters. And that's what makes a an epic trip, a journey, a pilgrimage different. Because while the destination is obviously important, kind of the point is the journey getting there, right? And in fact, it's the things you experience and encounter and see and the people you're with on the way there that often inform the experience of that destination. You know, when we went out to the Grand Canyon, but we didn't just fly to the Grand Canyon. We, we took a week to get there and a week to get back, and we saw everything we could in between. That was the point of the trip. People often treat their lives more like a vacation than a journey. We get so focused on the final destination. We get so focused on reaching whatever our goal is, we want to do it as quickly and efficiently as possible without not a lot of appreciation for the process of getting there, right? And especially as Christians, we can treat our Christianity more like a red-eye flight to heaven than a road trip. I'm going to heaven, and I'm done. I'm good. I know where I'm going when I die. And we don't take the time to think about the impact that Jesus should have on our lives between now and then. Eternal life doesn't begin when you die. It begins the moment you begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. So our salvation is a journey as much as it is a destination. It's a process. Enabling us to grow and to develop as we did, as Paul said, we press on toward the goal of the upward call in Christ Jesus. We're moving, we're pressing, we're working, we're aiming in that direction. And it's a remarkable journey, because it's a journey that we don't go alone. God is with us. God is our starting point, He's our destination, and He's the path upon which we walk. His people are our traveling companions, our fellow pilgrims. And we see this idea throughout the Bible, this idea of life as a journey. We heard it in our Old Testament reading this morning. The Psalms talk a lot about this, about about how our lives are a path. God's Word is even the lamp to our feet and the light to our path. We're not to stand in the path of sinners. We are to let the Good Shepherd lead us down right paths for His name's sake. In the Gospels, Jesus said that He was The way. He didn't just show us the way. He said that He is the way. And the apostles encourage us to walk in the light as He is in the light, to walk by the Spirit. So the biblical writers, Old Testament, New Testament, they saw life as a journey. So today we begin a sermon series on the disciples' path as we consider how we are to follow Jesus on this lifelong journey of discipleship to become more like Him and less like the world. And we're going to look in the coming weeks at our church's disciples' path, our, what we believe is the process by which we can become the kind of Christians who are thinking and acting and becoming more like Jesus. And we do that by coming to worship, by growing in groups, by serving in love, and by going and making disciples. But first, I want us to think in general about this idea of life as a spiritual journey, this disciple's path that Jesus calls us to follow when we put our trust in Him. Thirteen times in the Gospels, Jesus calls people to follow me, He says. Follow me. Matthew, the tax collector, he says, follow me, and he leaves behind his tax booth to follow Jesus. Andrew and one of uh, John's other disciples, they were kind of following after Jesus because they were interested in Him and wanted to know where He was going, what He was doing. And Jesus said to them, "'Come and see.'" And then to Philip, Jesus said, "'Follow Me.'" And then Philip went and found Nathaniel and told him about the Messiah and said, "'Come and see.'" But this morning I want us to specifically look at what Ben was referring to in his children's sermon, and that is Jesus' invitation to Simon Peter and his brother Andrew and to James and his brother John. If you'll turn with me to Mark chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 16 through 20. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, He saw Simon, that's Peter, and Andrew, Simon's brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow Me, Jesus told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat putting their nets in order. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this time in your Word. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to study it together, and we pray that your Holy Spirit would illuminate it to us and show us what you're calling us to do And light of your truth. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here Jesus reveals three aspects of discipleship. And it begins with, Follow me. It's the first thing Jesus said, Follow me. Discipleship begins with an invitation. And as I said, Jesus was regularly inviting people to follow him. Tax collectors, rich young lawyers, poor blind beggars, professional fishermen. He called all sorts of people. Some followed him. Some didn't. For James and John, especially, I mean, it's true for Simon and and, and Andrew, but especially for James and John, to leave their nets and their boat and their dad was a big deal. Fishing was the family business. It's all these men ever knew. It was all they were ever expected to do was to fish. So they literally walked off the job, abandoned their career path, and left their families to follow Jesus answering his invitation, follow me, was for them risky and it was costly. Now much later on, when Jesus has acquired all 12 of his apostles, he gives them this charge and it's a charge to us too because he says in Luke 9, 23, whoever, that includes you and me, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. So as we think about this invitation to follow Jesus, what does it entail? When we follow Jesus, it means at least two things, according to Luke 9.23. It means, first, that there's something we leave behind. He said, if you want to follow me, you must deny yourself. Deny yourself. So there's something we leave behind. So for us, answering the call of Jesus to follow Him as our Lord and Savior. Now, it probably won't mean having to quit your job and move away from home. I mean, it could, but it probably won't. But it will mean that we're going to have to make changes in our daily lives, in the choices we make, in the priorities that we have. It's going to mean leaving behind the comfort of our boats, the familiarity of our nets, and maybe even the approval of some of our family and friends. Every journey has a starting point, right? You're going to go on a trip, you're starting from home, right? Let's say you're going to go hiking, maybe hike the Appalachian Trail. Okay, You get your supplies, you leave home, but then you have to go to the trailhead, right? You've got to start at that trailhead, and the point of a trailhead is it's the beginning. What do you have to do? You have to leave it. You have to leave it behind you and press on toward your destination. And you have to count the cost. Somebody's not going to hike the AT if they don't, first of all, think that they physically are healthy enough and able enough to do it, that they've got enough supplies that they can carry all the supplies with them. They've got to map out how many days they think they can go on the trail at a time, how much time can they take off work. There's a lot of counting the cost. And the same is true when we answer the invitation to follow Jesus. We have to count the cost. What might He be asking you to leave behind? so you can follow Him. It may mean that there are some nets that you need to lay down. What are the nets that Jesus may be asking you to lay down? Now, nets aren't bad things, right? The fishermen's nets aren't bad things. They're good things. They're necessary things. So when we think about leaving our nets behind, it's not just talking about like the sins we need to abandon, which of course we do. There are sins or worldly ways we need to leave behind. But nets can even be good things that are a distraction good things that get in the way of us experiencing God's best things for us. So what are the misplaced priorities? What are the things that are, that are worrying you and making you anxious? What are the things that you are obsessing over? What are the things that is distracting you from following Jesus? We might need to lay those down. What boat do you need to step out of? And let's think about our votes as our comfort zones, right? The things that are familiar, The things that are safe. It can be relationships. It can be beliefs. It can be attitudes. What is your comfort zone? Churches can have boats. Right? I mean, we get pretty comfortable sometimes in certain programs and ministries and ways of doing things. You ever heard somebody say, well, that's the way we've always done it. Or we've never done it that way before. You probably hear that in church more than anywhere. We get our comfortable boats. And sometimes it's a program, it's a ministry that's been a blessing to us that we have invested into, but they're, it's just not working anymore. And we have to change. And we have to step out of that boat and trust God in doing something new or doing something in a new way. What boat do you need to step out of? And who might you need to leave behind? Maybe you've got a friend or a family member who is holding you back from following Jesus. Maybe it's somebody who's been a bad influence on your life or somebody who's just a discourager, right? They, they kind of drag you down. And, and it's not necessarily like you know cutting them out of your life, but maybe it's putting some distance between you and them. Maybe it's stop letting them have the kind of control and influence in your life you've let them have. We all have nets to lay down. We all have boats to step out of. We all have people that we might need to leave behind to, to follow Jesus is a call to leave some things behind, to make some sacrifices. Yes, even of good things. We have to leave some things behind so that secondly, we can take some things with us. There are some things we have to take with us. Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross daily. So it's not just enough to say no to some things. We also need to say yes to Jesus, denying ourselves. If we just stop there, we just leave an emptiness in our lives that the world's going to rush back in to fill again. Right? Nature abhors a vacuum. If you empty yourself of this and you don't fill yourself with the things of God, what good has it done you? So to follow Jesus, to walk in His footsteps, to live as His disciple, yes, it means we say no to some things that hinder us on the journey, but even more, it's about saying yes to the things that will help us along the way. Jesus says we deny ourselves to take up our cross. Now what does that mean? To bear your cross. Now that, that's sort of a euphemism that we've taken to be like a negative thing, right? Like your cross to bear. It's some burden that you have. It's some curse you have to endure But the meaning of this couldn't be further from the truth. Jesus goes on in Luke 9, in verses 25 and 26, to say, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when He comes in His glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. So the cross that we are to carry isn't something to be ashamed of. It's not something to just kind of put up with. It's how we gain that which truly matters. It's how we gain that which identifies us with Jesus in all His glory. Yes, the cross is a symbol of suffering and sacrifice, of surrender and submission, but in the kingdom of God, these are not negative things. These are the ultimate expressions of love, obedience and trust. We are to daily offer ourselves up as living sacrifices to God and serve others in humble obedience. That's what Jesus says in John 14, 23 and 24 when He says, anyone who loves Me will obey My teaching. My Father will love them. We will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love Me will not obey My teaching. These words you hear are not My own. They belong to the Father who sent Me. The cross of Jesus is how God work to bring reconciliation to the world. And as disciples of Jesus, we are agents of that ministry of reconciliation. So when you take up your cross, you're living and working for the sake of a world that is lost in sin and eternally doomed. We deny ourselves so that we can serve, love, and bear witness to others for their sake. So as we leave behind a lifestyle of sin, we do it to take up a pursuit of holiness. As we leave behind worldliness, we take up kingdom-minded priorities. As we leave behind selfishness, we take up a servant's heart. We put others before ourselves. As we leave behind Satan's lies, we take up a hunger and a thirst for the truth of God's Word that we may know it better and obey what it teaches. James told us that faith without works is dead. And that if all we do is listen to God's Word and we never obey its teachings, we're fools. To be a Christian is to follow Jesus. It's to walk the disciples' path of self-denial and cross-bearing. Listen, discipleship, and this is part of you know, maybe our fault of Southern Badness because we turn discipleship into a Sunday night program. Discipleship is not a program. Discipleship is not extra credit. Discipleship is the point of our salvation. Jesus saves us. He calls us to follow Him so that we can be His disciples. Following Jesus begins with belief. It's fueled by faith, but it is a life of obedience, of growth. It's a life of daily trusting in Jesus and relying on His Spirit to work in us. So once we accept that invitation of joining Jesus on this journey to follow Him. As we leave behind those things that used to define us and we take up a new identity as citizens of His kingdom carrying the cross of Christ, then Jesus begins to radically change us from the inside out. Jesus said, follow me. But the second point, the, point, the reason we follow Him is so that He will make us. He says, and I will make you. Follow me, and I will make you. Paul tells us in Romans 8, 29 that God's Spirit is at work in us so that we will continually be conformed to the likeness of Jesus. It's that process of spiritual growth and formation, a journey, not a destination. We are moving toward conforming to the likeness of Jesus. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 3.18, he said, And and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So discipleship is about being transformed into the image of Christ with ever-increasing glory. Now what does that mean? What does it mean to be in the image of Christ? Let me tell you first what it doesn't mean. How many of y'all know what WWJD means? Anybody? What's it mean? What would, Jesus do? what would Jesus do? Now, for you youngins, this was real popular back in the day, like in the nineties. You know, maybe early two thousands. It was on bracelets and T-shirts and bumper stickers and koozies and 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 keychains and mouse pads. You name it. It was everywhere. You go to a Christian bookstore. There's a whole wall of WWJD stuff. Now, the problem with the whole idea behind WWJD is that it focused on simply imitating Jesus. right? Asking, in a particular situation, what would Jesus do? The problem is that Jesus isn't just some ancient teacher whose example we should try to follow in the modern world. Discipleship is not about asking what would Jesus do, it's about asking what is Jesus doing in and through me? Today, right now. See, it's not enough to simply be like Jesus in an imitating way. If we settle simply for imitating Jesus, listen, we're going to fail and be frustrated in our faith. Amen? I'm going to mess up every time. The good news, though, is that Jesus doesn't want us to stop at just trying to be like Him. Rather, He wants us to be in Him and He in us. That's what Paul means in Galatians 2.20 when he says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. Listen, the Christian life is about David doing his best to be like Jesus. I am dead. I am crucified in my flesh, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live not by faith in David, but faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Jesus doesn't want us just to try to imitate Him but to allow Him to inhabit us, to live in and through us. He wants to share His resurrection life with you. That's why Jesus says in John fifteen four, Remain in Me, abide, dwell in Me, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. A lot of Christians try to bear fruit apart from the vine. But He says, you must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in Me. Frank Viola explains this well when he writes, the Gospel is not the imitation of Christ. It is the implantation and impartation of Christ. We are called to do more than mediate truths. We are called to manifest Jesus' presence. We are the body of Christ. He is to dwell and live in and through us. So Jesus isn't just calling you to imitate. He's calling you to incarnation. He's calling you to live a life where the Spirit of Jesus is living in and through you, forming the image of Christ within you so that your desires are His desires, so that you see people through His eyes, so that you allow Him to love and serve them through you. So that we literally begin to take on the very mind and attitude of Jesus. And y'all, this is the work of the Holy Spirit in us. This is supernatural. This is divine work in us, but it's not a passive experience for us. We don't just sit back once we're saved and then let just Jesus just kind of make us more like Him. We partner with God in this process. Paul explained that. We heard that in our New Testament reading. We are to work out our salvation partnering with God who is working in us and through us to act according to His good purposes. In other words, the salvation which God has worked in you by grace, we are now to work out so that we show good works to a watching world and they can give glory to our Father in heaven. Faith is the root, but works are the fruit. We are to bear good works for the glory of God and to proclaim the gospel to others. How do we do that? How do we partner with the Spirit's transforming work in our life? Well, Paul tells us in Romans 12, 1 and 2 that we are to present ourselves as living sacrifices to Jesus so that rather than being conformed to the ways of the world, we are being transformed through the renewing of our mind. And that's what the disciples' path is about. We as a church believe that these four things are essential. If we want to be well-rounded, well-rounded, fully developing followers of Jesus Christ, if we're going to be the kind of people who act, think, and are becoming like Jesus, we need to first of all come to worship. And that means personal time with God every day, but also coming together corporately with with our family of faith. Secondly, it means we need to grow in groups. Spiritual growth, we believe, happens best in community. God doesn't save us to be Lone Ranger Christians out there on our own. He calls us to community, to family. And through Bible study together, as well as personally studying God's Word, praying, practicing spiritual disciplines, we experience spiritual growth. And then third, serve in love. God has shaped each and every one of us to serve Him in a particular way, in a unique way. And we are to be all about serving others, both personally and through our church. These are how God, Jesus, makes us more and more conformed to His image. And we as a church want to provide a variety of ministries and programs and tools to help you actively participate with God's Spirit and God's Word and God's people to help transform you through the renewing of your mind. To answer Jesus' invitation to follow me is to become a disciple we do that in one moment in time, as we leave behind a life of sin, as we confess our sins, we turn from that in repentance, we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as our living Lord of Savior. That's how you say yes to the invitation follow me. But then every day you submit to the Spirit's sanctifying work in your life, allowing the Spirit to use the Word of God in the context of the people of God to make you more and more like the Son of God. And the goal of all of this, what specifically Jesus tells Simon and Andrew and James and John, He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men or fishers of people. That's the end goal. So discipleship is an invitation, it's a transformation, and it's a commission. We talk about the Great Commission in Matthew 20, 18-20. Jesus says... All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The Great Commission is not a suggestion. It's a command. It is our purpose in life as individual Christians, as a church, Listen, if we're not actively working to make disciples, we're not really following Jesus. We are not living in obedience to Him. The disciples' path must result in people who are serving as Jesus' hands and feet, continuing His redemptive mission to invite others on the path and help them grow in Christ's likeness. One author on discipleship wrote, If our acceptance of Jesus begins in the head and extends to the heart, It leads to a change in what we do with our hands. What you believe about Jesus must translate into how you live for Jesus. And that will always mean sharing the gospel with others so they can know Him too. And that's why the fourth and final part of our disciples' path is to go and tell, to go make more disciples. That means that we choose to be equipped and ready to engage others in gospel conversations that can lead them to faith in Jesus so we can disciple them. It means that we work together as a church to reach our neighbors and the nations with the good news of the gospel. We come to worship, we grow in groups, we serve in love so that we can go and tell others about Jesus so they can join us in that path. When Jesus talks to His followers about bearing fruit, we often think it's just talking about the fruit of the Spirit or just good works. And true, those are, those are fruit. But listen, the fruit of the Spirit is about how you shine the light of Jesus so that other people will see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. The fruit that Jesus wants us to bear that remains is the fruit of more disciples to reach more people with the good news about Jesus Christ. I want to close with what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.15-20. through 20. I want you to pay attention and notice that all three of these aspects of discipleship are here. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. It's going to be up on the screen. Paul writes to the Corinthian church. He says, And he died for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the One who died for them and was raised. From now on then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective, even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective. Yet now we no longer know Him in this way. What he's saying there is that following Jesus is about we no longer live for ourselves, we live for Him. He becomes our Lord and Savior, and He begins to make us new. We become new creations in Jesus when we choose to follow Him. Now he goes on in verse 17. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. So once we begin to follow Jesus, we acknowledge Him as the head and Lord of our lives and our families and our church, then He begins to make us new. He begins to renew us. He begins to form us. The old begins to pass away. New things begin to come. He begins to make us into the people that we should have always been. And then in verses 18 through 20, Everything is from God who has reconciled us to Himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God who is reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and He has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making His appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Go make disciples. Be fishers of people. We are agents of the ministry of reconciliation. Ambassadors for Christ. He makes His appeal through us to a world lost in sin. Be reconciled to God. That's the disciples' path. Are you on that path? Have you been reconciled to God? Listen, I'm standing here this morning. Christ is making His appeal to you right now through me. Be reconciled to God. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've not turned from your sin and repentance and trusted in Jesus for salvation, then you're not a disciple. You've got to answer the invitation, follow me first. Have you done that? If you don't know that, If you don't know that you belong to Jesus, if you don't know that you're walking this path of discipleship, following Jesus, today can be the day. Don't go out of this room till you come down and see me this morning and settle once and for all that you belong to Jesus. That He is the Lord of your life and you are choosing to follow Him. That's how it begins. Maybe you've done that, but you've never publicly professed it and gone through the waters of believer's baptism. I challenge you to step out of that boat of anonymity, lay down that net of pride. You come down this aisle and say, I belong to Jesus already, but I've never made it public. I've never been baptized by immersion as a believer, and I want to do that now. It doesn't matter how old you are. That is an act of obedience to God. And I invite you to that this morning. Maybe you have done that. You're a member of this church. You're baptized. You're a believer. You're a professing Christian. Are you allowing the Spirit to transform you and renew your mind? Maybe God is challenging you that you need to take more seriously walking this path of discipleship, being more faithful in worship and personal devotion. Being more faithful to study God's Word and to gather with His people to learn and grow. Being more faithful to serve. Maybe God's been calling you to an area of service and you've been just kind of shuffling along saying, I don't know, I don't think I have the time, I don't think I have the skill, that's not really my personality, but you know God is calling you to serve. Maybe God is calling some of you men to serve as deacons. And your inclination right now, is it doesn't matter how many people vote for you today, you're going to say no. Think about that. Pray about that. What is God actually leading you to do? Are you serving the Lord? And are you committed to being an ambassador for Christ? Are you a part of this ministry of reconciliation? Are you a disciple who is looking to make more disciples for Jesus? Maybe God has put someone on your heart that you know doesn't know Jesus. And He wants to speak through you. You're His agent of reconciliation. You are His ambassador to that person. And it's through you that He wants to plead with them, be reconciled to God. Will you do that? This altar is open. I'll be standing here this morning. What is God challenging you to do today? Let's obey what He says. Would you stand and pray with me? Father, we thank You for this time of worship, this time in Your Word. And Lord, it certainly is a challenge to us. We get so comfortable. We like our boats. We like our nets. We like the people that are around us. Father, You often call us to leave some of these even good things behind to step out in faith and follow You. Father, help us to be obedient to You. Help us to trust You enough to step out of that comfort zone into risky waters and to let Your Spirit work miracles through us, Lord. To do things through us we never would think we could do. God, help us to be obedient. Help us to trust You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.